Chapter 13, Part 3 of The Wonderful Adventures of Nils by Selma Lagerlof, translated by Velma Swanston Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gerald Moe, Tucker, Georgia. Little Carl's Island, Hell's Hole. The next day the big ram went around with the boy on his back and showed him the island. It consisted of a single massive mountain. It was like a large house with perpendicular walls and a flat roof. First the ram walked up on the mountain roof and showed the boy the good grazing lands there, and he had to admit that the island seemed to be especially created for sheep. There wasn't much else than sheep sorrel and such little spicy growths as sheep are fond of that grew on the mountain. But indeed there was something besides sheep fodder to look at, for one who had gotten well up on the steep, to begin with the largest part of the sea, which now lay blue and sunlit and rolled forward in glittering swells, was visible. Only upon one and another point did the foam spray up. To the east lay Gotland, with even and long-stretched coast, and to the southwest lay Great Carl's Island, which was built on the same plan as the little island. When the ram walked to the very edge of the mountain roof, so the boy could look down the mountain walls, he noticed that they were simply filled with birds' nests, and in the blue sea beneath him lay surf scooters and eider ducks and kittiwaits and guillemots and razorbills, so pretty and peaceful, busying themselves with fishing for small herring. This is really a favored land, said the boy. You live in a pretty place, you sheep. Oh, yes, it's pretty enough here, said the big ram. It was as if he wished to add something, but he did not, only sighed. If you go about here alone, you must look out for the crevices which run all around the mountain, he continued after a little, and this was a good warning, for there were deep and broad crevices in several places. The largest of them was called Hell's Hole. That crevice was many fathoms deep and nearly one fathom wide. If anyone fell down there, it would certainly be the last of him, said the big ram. The boy thought it sounded as if he had a special meaning in what he said. Then he conducted the boy down to the narrow strip of shore. Now he could see those giants, which had frightened him the night before, at close range. They were nothing but tall rock pillars. The big ram called them cliffs. The boy couldn't see enough of them. He thought that if there had ever been any trolls who had turned into stone, they ought to look just like that. Although it was pretty down on the shore, the boy liked it still better on the mountain height. It was ghastly down here, for everywhere they came across dead sheep. It was here that the foxes had held their orgies. He saw skeletons whose flesh had been eaten, and bodies that were half eaten, and others which they had scarcely tasted, but had allowed to lie untouched. It was heart-rending to see how the wild beasts had thrown themselves upon the sheep just for sport, 
just to hunt them and tear them to death. The big ram did not pause in front of the dead, but walked by them in silence. But the boy, meanwhile, could not help seeing all the horror. Then the big ram went up on the mountain height again, but when he was there he stopped and said, If someone who is capable and wise could see all the misery which prevails here, he surely would not be able to rest until these foxes had been punished. The foxes must live too, said the boy. Yes, said the big ram, those who do not tear in pieces more animals than they need for their sustenance, they may as well live. But these are felons. The peasants who own the island ought to come here and help you, insisted the boy. They have rode over a number of times, replied the ram, but the foxes always hid themselves in the grottoes and crevices, so they could not get near them to shoot them. You surely cannot mean, father, that a poor little creature like me should be able to get at them, when neither you nor the peasants have succeeded in getting the better of them. He that is little and spry can put many things to right, said the big ram. They talked no more about this, and the boy went over and seated himself among the wild geese who fed on the highland. Although he had not cared to show his feelings before the ram, he was very sad on the sheep's account, and he would have been glad to help them. I can at least talk with Akka and Morton Goosey Gander about the matter, thought he. Perhaps they can help me with a good suggestion. A little later the white Goosey Gander took the boy on his back and went over the mountain plain and in the direction of Hell's Hole at that. He wandered carefree on the open mountain roof, apparently unconscious of how large and white he was. He didn't seek protection behind tufts or any other protuberances, but went straight ahead. It was strange that he was not more careful, for it was apparent that he had fared badly in yesterday's storm. He limped on his right leg, and the left wing hung and dragged as if it might be broken. He acted as if there were no danger, pecked at a grass blade here and another there, and did not look about him in any direction. The boy lay stretched out full length on the gooseback, and looked up toward the blue sky. He was so accustomed to riding now that he could both stand and lie down on the gooseback. When the goosey gander and the boy were so carefree, they did not observe, of course, that the three foxes had come up on the mountain plain. And the foxes, who knew that it was well-nigh impossible to take the life of a goose on an open plain, thought at first that they wouldn't chase after the goosey gander. But as they had nothing else to do, they finally sneaked down on one of the long passes and tried to steal up to him. They went about it so cautiously that the goosey gander couldn't see a shadow of them. They were not far off when the goosey gander made an attempt to raise himself into the air. He spread his wings, but he did not succeed in lifting himself. When the foxes seemed to grasp the fact that he couldn't fly, they hurried forward with greater eagerness than before. 
they no longer concealed themselves in the cleft, but came up on the highland. They hurried as fast as they could behind tufts and hollows, and came nearer and nearer the goosey gander, without his seeming to notice that he was being hunted. At last the foxes were so near that they could make the final leap. Simultaneously all three threw themselves with one long jump at the goosey gander. But still at the last moment he must have noticed something, for he ran out of the way so the foxes missed him. This, at any rate, didn't mean very much, for the goosey gander only had a couple of meters headway, and in the bargain he limped. Anyway, the poor thing ran ahead as fast as he could. The boy sat upon the gooseback, backward, and shrieked and called to the foxes, You have eaten yourselves too fat on mutton, foxes. You can't catch up with a goose, even. He teased them so that they became crazed with rage and thought only of rushing forward. The white one ran straight to the big cleft. When he was there, he made one stroke with his wings and got over. Just then the foxes were almost upon him. The goosey gander hurried on with the same haste as before, even after he had gotten across Hell's Hole. But he had hardly been running two meters before the boy patted him on the neck and said, Now you can stop, goosey gander. At that instant they heard a number of wild howls behind them, and a scraping of claws and heavy falls, but of the foxes they saw nothing more. The next morning the lighthouse keeper on Great Carl's Island found a bit of bark poked under the entrance door, and on it had been cut, in slanting angular letters, The foxes on the little island have fallen down into Hell's Hole. Take care of them. And this the lighthouse keeper did, too. End of chapter 13, part 3 Recording by Gerald Moe, Tucker, Georgia